Chapter 8 of The Sign of the Cross in the Nineteenth Century. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michael Portelli. The Sign of the Cross in the Nineteenth Century by John Garmay. Letter 8. The sign of the cross, known and practised since the beginning of the world, contradictions only apparent, seven ways of making the sign of the cross, testimonies of the fathers, David, Solomon, and all the Jewish nation, made the sign of the cross, and knew its value. Proofs. December 3rd. My dear Frederick, your ears and those of many others will tingle at the first sentence of my letter the sign of the cross runs back to the very beginning of the world it has been made by all nations even by pagans in their solemn prayers on important occasions when they desired to obtain some signal favours let me first remark that between this proposition and that which i advanced in my preceding letter there is no contradiction Yesterday I spoke of the sign of the cross in its perfect form, and fully understood, such as we practice it since the gospel. Today I speak of the sign of the cross in a form, elementary though real, and more or less mysterious to those who made it before the gospel. An explanation seems to be necessary. I am about to give it. The sign of the cross is so natural to man, that at no epoch among no nation and in no form of worship did man ever put himself in communication with god by prayer without making the sign of the cross do you know of any nation who were accustomed to pray with their arms hanging down as for me i do not all those that i know and i know the jews the pagans and the catholics have in prayer made the sign of the cross there are seven ways of making it with the arms extended, man then becomes an entire sign of the cross. With hands clasped, the fingers interlaced, thus forming five signs of the cross. The hands joined, one against the other, the thumbs placed, one over the other, again the sign of the cross. The hands crossed on the breast, another form of the sign of the cross. The arms equally crossed on the breast, fifth way of making it. The thumb of the right hand passing under the index finger and resting on the middle one, a sign of the cross much in use, as we shall see hereafter. And finally, the right hand passing from the forehead to the breast and from the breast to the shoulders, a more explicit form which you know. Under one or other of these forms, the sign of the cross has been practised everywhere and always in solemn circumstances with a knowledge more or less clear of its efficacy. Jacob lies at the point of death. Around him stands his twelve sons, the future fathers of the twelve tribes of Israel. Inspired by God, the holy patriarch announces to each what shall happen to him in succeeding ages. At the sight of Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's two children, the old man being moved invokes on them all the blessings of heaven. To obtain them, what does he do? 
he crosses his arms, says the scripture, and places his left hand on the child at his right, and his right on the one at his left. Behold, the sign of the cross, the eternal token of benediction. In this, tradition is not deceived. Jacob was the type of the Messiah. In that solemn moment, words, attitude, everything in the patriarch was prophetic. Jacob, says St. John of Damascus, in crossing his hands to bless Joseph's children, forms the sign of the cross. Nothing is more evident. Even from apostolic times, Tertullian established the same fact and gave it the like meaning. The Old Testament, says he, shows us Jacob blessing Joseph's children. His left hand passed over on the head of him at his right, and the right on the head of him at his left. In this position they formed the sign of the cross, and foretold the blessings of which the crucified should be the source. Let us go back to the time of the servitude in Egypt, and pass on to Moses. Having reached the midst of the desert, the Hebrews find themselves face to face with Amalek. At the head of a powerful army, the hostile king stops their passage. A decisive battle is inevitable. What will Moses do? Instead of remaining in the plain, to encourage by his voice and gesture, the battalions of Israel he ascends the mountain which commands a view of the battlefield. What does the lawgiver, inspired by God, do during the combat? He makes the sign of the cross. Nothing but the sign of the cross, and the sign of the cross during the whole of the combat. Nowhere do we learn that he pronounces any words. With hands open and arms extended toward heaven, he makes himself a living sign of the cross. God sees him in this attitude, and the victory is gained. This is not an idle supposition. Listen again to the fathers of the church. Amalek, cries out St. John of Damascus, those hands extended in the form of a cross have vanquished thee. And the great Tertullian, why does Moses, at the time that Joshua is about to combat with Amalek, do what he never did before? Pray with extended arms. In a circumstance so decisive, should he not in order to render his prayer more efficacious, bend his knee, strike his breast, and bow his head to the dust? Nothing of all this. Why? Because that combat of the Lord in which Amalek was delivered up a prey prefigured the battles of the incarnate word against Satan and the sign of the cross by which he was to conquer. And St. Justin, the philosopher and martyr, who lived so near the time of the apostles, says Moses with extended arms, upheld by her and Aaron, remaining on the mountain until sunset, what is he but a living sign of the cross? Insensible to the miracles of the paternal solicitude, of which they were the constant objects, the Hebrews murmur against Moses and against God. Murmurs rise to revolt, and the revolt becomes general and obstinate. The chastisement is not long delayed, and it assumes the same characteristics. Royal serpents, frightful reptiles, whose venom burns like fire, fall upon the guilty and wound them with their fangs. The camp is filled with the dead and dying. At the prayer of Moses, God shows them mercy. 
to put the serpents to flight and heal the innumerable sick. What means will he indicate? Prayers? No. Fasts? No. An altar? An expiratory column? Nothing of all this. He orders him to make a sign of the cross, permanent and visible to all, a sign that each of the sick shall make in his heart, only by looking at it, and such shall be the power of this sign, that one look alone shall suffice to restore him to health. The signification of this divinely commanded sign is not doubtful. The true sign of the cross, the eternally living sign of the cross, our Lord himself, has revealed to mankind that the sign of the desert was a figure of himself. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him may not perish, but may have everlasting life. If the limits of a letter permitted, we might read together the annals of this typical people, and you would see, my dear friend, that on all important occasions, the only ones which we know well, they had recourse to the sign of the cross. I will cite a few of them. In the sacrifices, the priest first raised the victim in the manner prescribed by law. He then carried it from east to west, as we learn from the Jews themselves. Thus was made the sign of the cross. It was by the same motion that the high priests and even the simple priests blessed the people after the sacrifice. From the Jewish church, this sign passed to the Christian. The first faithful, struck by the ancient manner of blessing with the sign of the cross, were easily instructed by the apostles on its mysterious signification and naturally inclined to continue it, adding the divine words which explain it. In the time of the prophet Ezekiel, the abominations of Jerusalem were at their height. A mysterious personage, says the prophet, received orders to traverse the city and to mark the sign T on the foreheads of all those who mourned over the abominations of that guilty capital. By his side walked six other persons, each armed with a deadly weapon, who were commanded to kill indiscriminately all those not marked with the salutary sign. How is it possible not to see here a striking figure of the sign of the cross, which is made on our foreheads? Thus it is understood by the fathers of the church, among others, by Tertullian and St. Jerome, as, say they, the sign that make marked on the foreheads of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, who grieved over the crimes of that city, protected them against the exterminating angel, so also the sign of the cross marked on the forehead of a man is an assurance that he shall not become the victim of the demon and the other enemies of his salvation, if he really grieve over the abomination which this sign interdicts. The Philistines have reduced the Israelites to the most humiliating servitude. Samson begins their deliverance, but unhappily the strength of Israel allows himself to be surprised they load him with chains. After having caused his eyes to be pulled out, they make a plaything of him to amuse them at their feasts. Samson, however, meditates revenge. 
he plans how with one blow he may be able to destroy thousands of enemies providence has so arranged things that it is by the sign of the cross he shall consummate his design placed between two of the pillars that support the edifice says saint augustine the strength of israel extends his arms in the form of a cross in this all-powerful attitude he shakes the pillars they give way he crushes his enemies and like the great crucified of whom he is the figure he dies buried in his own triumph david overwhelmed with sorrow is reduced to the greatest extremity in which a king can find himself a parasitical son revolting subjects an unsteady throne old age fast coming on what does the inspired monarch do he prays by making the sign of the cross solomon finishes the temple of jerusalem the magnificent edifice is consecrated with a pomp worthy of the monarch he wishes to draw down the blessings of heaven upon the new dwelling of the god of israel and to obtain his favors for those who will come there to pray what does solomon do he prays by making the sign of the cross and solomon says the sacred text stood before the altar of the lord in the sight of the assembly of israel and spread forth his hands toward heaven and said lord god of israel there is no god like thee in heaven above or on earth beneath have regard to the prayer of thy servant that thy eyes may be opened on this house night and day that thou mayest hearken to the supplication of thy servant and of thy people israel to believe that the patriarchs judges and prophets the kings and the seers of israel were the only ones who knew and practiced the sign of the cross would be an error all the people knew it and in times of public danger made religious use of it sinacharib is advancing from victory to victory the greater part of palestine is invaded jerusalem itself is threatened behold what that entire nation men women and children do to repulse the enemy like moses they make the sign of the cross become living images of that holy sign and they invoked the lord of mercies and spreading their hands they lifted them up to heaven and the lord quickly heard them another danger threatens them heliodorus with a numerous band of soldiers comes to pillage the temple he has already entered the exterior enclosure yet a few moments and the sacrilege shall be consummated the priests lie prostrate at the foot of the altar but nothing stops the spoliator what do the people do they have recourse to their traditional weapon they pray making the sign of the cross you know the rest if it is contestable that to pray with outstretched arms is one form of the sign of the cross you see that from all antiquity the jews have known and practiced it with a mysterious instinctive feeling of its power we shall see tomorrow if the pagans were much less instructed end of letter 8 recording by michael portelli